Quick, how much do you have saved for your retirement right now? I don't know the answer to that. And if you don't either, you're not alone. Most of us aren't thinking enough about our savings. And this week, we're going to try to do a little better. This is Game Plan. Hi, I'm Francesca Levy. And I'm Rebecca Greenfield. And this week, we're talking all about retirement savings. It's on our minds because... The GOP, as part of its new tax plan, briefly proposed capping contributions to 401k tax plans. And people heard that and freaked out. Yeah, right now, a lot of us have 401ks with our jobs, and we mindlessly put in as much as we can tax-free, and we think that will be great on retirement. So when we see news that there's no longer going to be this tax-free benefit, it just seems like it's going to ruin our whole lives when we're older. But when it comes to 401ks, we're actually our own worst enemies. Most of us are really bad at saving. 401ks have become kind of the biggest vehicle for retirement savings in the U.S. Pensions are dwindling and will go away altogether pretty soon, probably. Our Social Security income for most people isn't enough to retire on. So we depend on these corporate plans. And yet most people are not contributing to them, even when they have the option. Yeah, so of course there are some employers that don't offer them. There was a startling statistic that I saw in a Bloomberg article that only 14% of companies offer them. That doesn't mean that most people don't have the option. It's usually small employers that don't offer them, but that is so few companies. I just think of it as this universal benefit at this point, but it's it's not. It feels like an advantage of going to work at a big company that like you get your you get your nice retirement package, this 401k. Yeah. And most Americans do have the option. The same article said that 80 percent of Americans do work somewhere that sponsors some kind of 401k like plan. But even so, only 41 percent make contributions to those plans. So even when your employer offers them, for some reason, people are not contributing. Right. And we should say that in a lot of these plans, your employer will match your contributions. So what you put in, they will put in the same amount, you know, up to a certain amount. So like That's free money. And there must be people who just really can't shave anything off their paychecks. But that's not everyone who's not contributing. So we should talk a little bit about the reasoning behind having access to basically this free money and not taking it. I have talked to people who are just out of school. They're young and they're paying off a ton of student debt and they're deciding between student debt and 401k and they feel like they can't put in. But then once you don't get in the habit of doing it, I think inertia is so strong that you just never do it. And then you're 10 years into your career and you missed out on all this great free money. I definitely felt that way when I was first starting out. The company that I started working at after college offered a match, I think after a year or two. And so in the first year or two of working there, I thought, well, I'm not going to be getting the match. And I'm so broke right now. My salary is so low that, uh, you know, it's too soon to put it in. And then I ended up working there for five years and I never got around to signing up for the match. And I I gave up that free money and I didn't have any savings under my belt, you know, when I was like well into my 20s. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) But that's the thing. It's like when you're young, retirement feels so, so far away that it feels like you'll always have time to get around to it. Um, But not only is it bad investment not to start piling on like those early returns, it's As you say, it's bad psychology because you get this inertia. You think, I'll do it in two years when the match starts. Or, 
you know, I'll do it when my salary goes up and I start making a little bit more money. And then those things happen and you don't you you don't want to go back into the HR paperwork. You don't want to make the phone call to figure out like, you know, the 15 minutes of work that it would take to like change these, you know, make these adjustments on your paycheck. And I don't know, it's it's just crazy because it's a thing that could help us so much and it's impossible for us to see the benefits in the moment. That's definitely my problem. I have the best of intentions. I want to contribute to my 401k and I do and I always have, but sometimes I'll want to go in and check on it or figure I'm going to raise my contributions, but I get stuck somewhere in like a paperwork hole or like on a website somewhere and then I just give up and I forget about it. And then a year later, we're doing an episode on it and I'm like, oh, I should start that again. (laughs) Yeah. Yesterday we said as preparation for this episode, we would both take a look at what was in our 401ks and like what we have saved in Social Security. And I didn't do it. I also didn't do it. And I think it's partly this fear of looking at money. Yeah. Like it's it's a scary thing in our culture, which we've talked about on the show. When I started at Bloomberg, I signed up for the 401k and then I actually made some decisions about my investment. Like I thought I knew enough to just like diversify my portfolio and leave it alone. And I thought I was making good decisions at the time, but I don't know exactly what those decisions were. And I'm kind of scared to go back and look at them because what if they were really dumb and like I would have just been better off leaving it alone? Yeah. And definitely just ignoring it and not looking at it is 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 going to change whatever bad decisions you made or that's what it feels like. Right. Like if we don't look at it, it's not yeah, there. It's not there. And you said something a second ago that struck me, which was that you, sometimes you think about starting to look at this stuff and then you just you just kind of get, you know, you get stuck in a paperwork hole or it feels too inconvenient in the moment because it's this thing that just never feels urgent. Retirement, to me, feels really far away and it feels just as far away as it did 10 years ago. And I'm 10 years closer to retirement, so it should feel a little closer. And I think this is true for a lot of people. It's just very hard to do something where the payoff is going to be decades away. And I think that's just human nature. I refuse to say that this is a personal moral failing. Yeah, it's just hard to envision even the sum of money I would need. There was another Bloomberg article about how much a million dollars would get you. And it was like, not enough. And in my mind, I I was like, how? How could a million dollars not not be enough? enough? I don't understand. But I guess that's something I should know. Well, it's not a personal moral failing. It is kind of the way our brains are wired. We don't think about long-term solutions. We think about short-term gratification. But fortunately, behavioral economists are here to help. People are thinking about this stuff. They know human beings are not wired to make good savings decisions. Richard Thaler was just awarded the Nobel Prize for his work in the field. And they're doing all kinds of stuff to try and help us overcome the biases, these natural biases we have that keep us from saving and from just like making the obvious right choice. And we're going to talk to one of those behavioral economists right now. Our guest today is Steve Wendell. He's the head of behavioral science at Morningstar, which is an investment research firm. Why don't you explain to us a little bit about what you do and how you study human behavior and how you make recommendations based on that? We study the gap between intention and action. 
when people want to save for the future and save for retirement or invest in a, in a thoughtful, diversified way, but yet they struggle to actually do it. We study why that happens, and more importantly, what individuals and their advisors and their companies can do to help them do better. And we do this primarily through experiments, so uh, formal randomized control trials that test if we try talking about retirement savings a somewhat different way, does that help people save more and really reach their goals, for example? And in general, why would you say we make retirement savings decisions, for example, that are a sort of against our own interests? So when I think about saving for the future, I really think about four distinct problems that we face. One is our biases, right? Our focus on the present, our difficulty um, uh, planning for, emerg- for emergency expenses, for regular expenses, et cetera. And that's the one so many people focus on, are these biases. But there's more. The second part, and I think often more important, is why we spend why we find it difficult to control our spending and keep on a particular budget. Third is why we don't always keep the money in the plans once we get it there. So why we often cash out when there's a job change, especially when it's a, when it's a relatively small balance. And fourth, why we don't manage the money in our plans very well. Why uh, we think, okay, well, I just, I, 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 I'm saving enough, that should be fine. And then we don't think about, well, Am I contributing up to the max? Am I panicking during downturns and pulling the money out, et cetera? So given this bias we have to not think about the future, what are some of the common mistakes that people do make? The most common mistake, of course, is that, is that people don't plan for the future at all. They don't plan for retirement savings. And they don't figure out how much they'll need. They don't actually put aside the money for it, et cetera. And I think that's your first and foremost. And that's, in our world, we call this the, the present bias our natural focus on the present. Um, but there are many others. There are many others that come into play as well. Similarly, we, we, we're not great at, at, um, at, plan, at, at understanding how we're going to respond in the future. So we have, a, we have a planning fallacy in that we think, okay, I'm going to be, you know, right now maybe I'm not ready to, um, to save for retirement, but next year I'm going to be in a great position to do so. Yeah, well, probably not. We don't forecast our own future behavior. We don't forecast uh, the state we'll be in very effectively. So you mentioned earlier that your team has done experiments to try to test some of your theories and come up with recommendations to help people save better. Can you tell me a little bit more about some of those studies or experiments? Sure, sure. So we've, uh, we run a variety of different experiments to, to help investors, as I mentioned, close this um, gap between intention and action. One of the, one of the simplest ones we've done, for example, in the, in the retirement space is to show people all the work that's involved in calculating this retirement savings so that it isn't a poof, magic number that comes out and says, you should save this amount but give them a sense of the of labor and the calculation that's involved behind the scenes. And we find that then that, that calculation is more trustworthy. And they say, okay, there's thought that's, been gone, into, that's gone into this, even if, it's a, even if it's a computer thinking about it. And therefore, let me myself think about this more seriously. Uh, we did another study actually with our own employees, I should say, um, where we, in many cases, people don't go in and change their contribution from the default because they forget because they're doing other things. 
And so we um, we did a reminder that that very clearly indicated, hey, here's the deadline, here's the here's the time required for it. Um, and we found that that was that was helpful to um, uh, to get people who are in the finance industry and think about this all the time, just to spend a moment of time to think about their their retirement savings and their own company. That's such a small thing that seems to have such a huge impact, and also what the Nobel Prize in Economics basically was given to for. Yes. Are there other small things that companies or people can do to trick themselves into saving better? One, obviously, is is on the company side, the auto-enrollment. Great technique, very effective, probably the single most powerful thing that America has ever done to increase savings. We can also very explicitly use uh, mental accounts. So actually what, uh, as you mentioned, Dick Thaler, um, one of the things that that he worked on in, in uh, that the that the uh, Nobel Prize Committee awarded him for in in, in the Nobel in the Nobel for for economics. So mental accounts is thinking about your thinking about the money you're saving not just as vaguely for retirement, but rather for specific purposes. This is the money I'm going to give to my children. This is the money that we're going to live off. This is the money that we're going to have that we're finally going to check off those items on the bucket list. Make it more real. Make it more real. Make it more vivid. Give it a purpose. Those are some of the many techniques. Let me give you a specific example and see what you have to say about it. Rebecca and I both have 401ks from previous jobs that we just haven't gotten around to rolling over. You're helping me understand kind of why that is. We're focused on the present. There's no urgency around it. It feels like too much work. What could we do to kind of force ourselves to take the steps we need to do this obviously good savings decision? First, I would say... If it is a if it's a large balance and the the plan from the previous employer is a good one, we don't always have to roll it over, right? In many cases, set it and forget it is a good thing. If the the money being set aside means hey, you're not going to touch it and you're not going to um, it's it's already past the phase where you might cash where you might cash it out on a job change, great. But let's say you do want to to roll it over as you mentioned, but you're just not quite getting there. Right? Or we have this gap between one's intentions and one's actions. Well, as, as you mentioned before, many of the techniques are, are just really simple and obvious in hindsight. So one thing to do is you set a deadline. You say, this is the day I'm going to do it. I have to do it by this day. You put it on the calendar. So you set up a reminder. You set up a deadline. And you also do what's known as, and this is slightly more exotic, uh, implementation intentions. As you're thinking about it right now and you're saying, oh, I wish I'd finally get around to rolling over this money, take that moment to think through the steps that are required to do it. So, okay, I'm going to have to go to this site. I'm going to have to go look up my password. If I don't remember my password um, or if I can't find my password, I'm going to, you know, I'll call the company. So it's especially the things that might get in your way, like not having the password at that moment. Those are the ones you want to think through beforehand, because what it does is in the mind, it creates this script you can go off of that, okay, time is hit. Now it's time to do the rollover. You're just executing these steps you've already thought through, and you, can't, and you don't hit a roadblock that says, oh, man, I don't have the password. Oh, okay, I'll just come back and worry about this thing later. So you're mentally working through all those obstacles beforehand. I, I hope that's helpful. Yeah, it feels so sort of sad to me that these little roadblocks, like not remembering a password, are enough to keep us from making really important investment decisions. But you're absolutely right. It's things like that that just block you. 
Yeah, it sounds and, I mean, overwhelming that, to me. That's, that observation is the Nobel Prize. <laughs> Congrats, Francesca. <laughs> So often we talk about what we can do to remind ourselves to save for the future. But then there's the phenomenon of freaking out about your savings. Now you're looking at the stock market and thinking, oh, like what's happening to my 401k? So what are ways we can better set ourselves up to make good decisions in those moments? How do people stop from, well, destroying the money that they've, they've saved so hard? And the biggest lesson is... Do what you can to not look, to not check. Uh, actually, one of, one of uh, Richard Thaler's um, original research uh, in this field is on myopic loss aversion, which is the more often that you check your portfolios, and he did it with, with traders, so professionals even, the more often you check your portfolios, the more often you check your investments, the more it warps your behavior. In this case, the more it makes you loss averse, in many cases, more conservative in your trading. And so stay away. Don't, don't feel that temptation to look, oh, how's my retirement planning? How's my retirement plan? How's it doing all the time? It's terrible for you. Um, and you can replace that, right? It's, it's not just a matter of self-control. You can replace that with this particular expectation. Okay, I'm going to look once a year. I'm going to look, whatever, twice a year on this date specific. And I'm going to look at the projection towards my goal, not at the price moving up and down, because that is very noisy and it's, well, it's distracting. Instead, I'm going to look at how's the portfolio doing, et cetera. Um, We find that certain vehicles do seem to help people stay on track more. So the target date funds that so many people are defaulted into now. Previous studies have shown that, that folks were less likely to panic and pull out their money during the during the 08, 09 uh, downturn. Um, and, and some of that is because people were defaulted in, and, and some of that is because it's this expectation of set it and forget it. It's a vehicle where everything is taken care of. You just don't have to worry about it. You just don't have to touch it. Other techniques that you can use to help yourself stay on track and not touch that money. One is to really take a value center approach that savings, eh, that's vague. Yes, we know it's important, but it's not really us. It's not really vivid. Instead, write out why, retire, why this retirement savings matters. Is it about your family? You don't want to be a burden on them. Is it because you want to give back? You want to give back to your community. You want to give back to your society. Is it um, that you're finally checking off items on your bucket list? Is it is it um, the dreams of how you want to uh, uh, get these unique experiences with your spouse? Write those out. Make it vivid. Make it real. And then when you're tempted, go back and look at that description and say, well, do I, do I really want to give up these things? Are these, the, uh, are these the things that, you know, I don't care about anymore? Probably not, because these are durable. These are the things that – these are our values. And they're much more real to us than just, I should really be saving for retirement. That's really helpful um, because it's more about a frame of mind, I think, than, you know, just a tip or a trick. And I want to ask you as a parting question um, – since most of us want to make the right decisions for our retirement, but obviously our minds are conspiring against us to keep us from doing that, what's like the one most important thing to remember, the thing that we should keep top of mind as we're trying to you know, get all these little things done? So ironically, I would say the answer is um, 
don't try to keep it in mind. So automate as much as possible. Remove yourself from the picture. So make a wise decision up front to save in, 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 a, in, a, in, a, um, in a thoughtful, diversified way, to save at an appropriate rate, and then play with your kids. Do your job. Do other things. Most people aren't wired to think about the future, and especially their financial future, all the time. We fundamentally aren't going to change human nature, look, our own or otherwise. I can tell you I've tried for myself. Instead, we can change our environment so our decision, our once-off decision, can, can pull us through this long time between now and retirement, right? We can set it and forget it. That, I think, is the one overriding lesson. Yeah, it's like behaviorally easy to spend and behaviorally hard to save. Well, thank you so much for all your help in thinking through these things. Happy to, happy to be here, and thanks so much for having me on the show. I don't know about you, but I feel a little bit better now about being such a dummy about investing in savings because I feel like... That's how we're wired. It's not my fault. It's just human nature. We're all like this. It's not only that he told us that people are wired to be dummies. He was like, be a dummy. Like, yeah. set up <laughs> the alerts. Yeah. Do your thing. Don't think about it too much. Um, yeah, with regards to rolling over our 401k, are you going to take his recommendations? Well, apparently, I don't even have to, which brings up, or I don't necessarily have to, um, which is another kind of interesting thing to think about. You and I talked about this before the show. We were like, oh, our 401ks were so dumb that we haven't rolled them over. And we both just assumed that 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 was the right thing to do because, I don't know, it feels responsible. You hear about it in your orientation materials when you start a new job. Yeah. Like, here's how you roll over your 401k. But sometimes, like, no decision is, the, is a fine decision. So maybe it's not that daunting because he talks about making that list of, like, you know, what are the steps I would need to get there? And for me, maybe the first step is just figuring out what 401ks I have floating out there and whether they're just fine being left alone um, or whether it makes more sense to roll them over. Maybe I'll just email him. I'll like find all the 401ks and I'll email them to him and let him tell me. Yeah, offload yeah. your problems to someone else. That's that's the thing that we're supposed to do. Well, that is kind of the upshot, right? Like, stop feeling so bad about being bad about this stuff. Like, don't imagine that there's a future you that's going to be better about savings and better about retirement and 401ks. Just accept that we're not really cut out for this kind of stuff and then do all the little things that you have to do to trick your brain into getting better at it. Yeah, it's not to say that you shouldn't invest. I remember when we had Sally Krawcheck on, she was very aggressive about taking advantage of your company's 401k and people should definitely do that. But once you've opted into that, I think it's like then do as little as you can to maximize how much you save. Yeah. The obstacles to opting into things like that, the things of just, I mean, he didn't call it laziness, but it, that is kind of part of it. It's just like, oh, that feels like too much work. Even that stuff is psychological. So if we know that, we can just be like, okay, I'm just going to hack this so that I do it. I'm going to set up a calendar appointment. I'm going to write a little list. I'm going to do these things that are going to help me remember my password <laughs> and get over my laziness about this. And and it's it's not my fault. I'm not so flawed. Well, I am, but we all are. 
And now it's time for Half Baked Takes. Half Baked Takes. You can call us with your Half Baked Take. Leave us a voicemail at 212-617-0166. This week, we have a listener on what to do at the end of emails. Hi, this is Alini from uh, Massachusetts. My Half Baked Take is about email closing. Some people don't use them at all. Some people use the same generic ones like thanks. Sometimes you'll see a fun one like cheers. But then even after your email closing, if you have a signature, do you write your name to make it personal or do you just use the name that's in your signature and send it kind of off generically? Thanks for the show, guys. Luckily for this listener, I am an expert on email sign-offs. You are the authority on this. wrote a very important piece on the sign-off best saying best is the worst. Yeah. And best I, comma Becca Greenfield. Yeah, no I, one will ever read that. No, I have very strong opinions on this and it's worked so well for me. And maybe listeners of the show already know this, but I do no email sign off. Yeah. Just my name, first name. And you know what? It's a power move. It feels so good. Wait, so you do have a sign off, but you don't have like a, a salutation. Like you say, yeah, you don't I just, just say end my the name. email abruptly. Right. But then I think once you've been emailing for a little bit, you stop doing that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just just your name. It's a power move. It feels great. You just it feels great. There's like, no. You don't need to. We don't need the frills. Yeah. We all know what's happening. It I want to build up the courage to be like you. Yeah. I like it. You're like I'm too important to be thinking about regards, thanks, yeah, so best. This is a professional correspondence. Sincerely. Why do I need to? Why do I need I to show my sincerity? Yeah. Try it out. If you don't like it, I don't know. Best is okay. I know I said it's the worst. It's bad. I don't know. I'm a best person. I do say best. Sometimes I say thanks, but Mm -hmm. often I'll write it, erase it, write a sentence before I write my name that basically gets at the fact that I'm thanking them. Basically, any sign-off can be changed into a final sentence. No sign-off. It's very bold. Let me know if you have any questions is a great (laughs) one. Okay. Okay. Becca, what is your half-baked take this week? My half-baked take is you're using your weather app wrong. Uh It has come to my attention that people look at their weather apps and it says high of 65, low of 43, and they're like, okay, I'm dressing for it to be 65 degrees out, but it's probably going to be 65 degrees out at 12 or 1 or 2 when you're inside your office building, and you're really only outside between the hours of 8 and 10 and 6 and 10 p.m., And you need to check the hour by hour of those hours, and that's the temperature for the day, which tends to be lower than the high. I'm guilty of this for sure. I think I use my weather app to help lie to myself. Like, I I hear, like, high of 70, and I'm like, great, it's T-shirt weather. Meanwhile, it's going to be 70 degrees for, like, 15 minutes at noon and, like, there's there's some other number. It's the weather app's fault, really. Like they need because mm. the hour by hour, like it can't be that accurate, right? So they need to give us some other measure that's like, what is the mode? Yeah. Isn't the mode the most common number in a thing? So it's yeah. like, what's the most common temperature that it's going to be today? Yeah, what you know? Let's get rid of this high low for yeah. the day paradigm. Yeah, we need a whole. I think we have an app idea. Okay, this is more let's than a half big day. Yeah, sorry guys, we're quitting the podcast. Yeah. we're going to become <laughs> millionaires with our new weather app. All right, Francesca, what's your half-baked take? I have a lot of angst about what what's the appropriate time when you're coming in late 
After which you have to email people that you're coming in late. And also, whom do you email? So, like, to me, it feels like if if it's going to affect somebody, like if you're going to miss a meeting or something or be late for a meeting, then, you you know, you email the people that it's going to affect. But other people, anytime they're going to be a little bit late in this office, will email like their direct supervisor and five people that they work with. And I'm like, I couldn't care less that you're going to be late. But then also that kind of behavior gives me anxiety when I'm running a little bit late because I'm like, should I be doing that? Should I be putting the whole office on alert that like they're going to be seeing me 15 minutes later this morning so they don't worry about me? What? Yeah. What is that move? (laughs) Why? I mean, I'm a person about less accountability is best. I email as few people as possible about my goings on, update that calendar as little as possible, keep a little mystery but yeah, what is the yeah. what is the move of telling people you're going to be five minutes late? I think it's to say, I'm usually not late. Yeah. So this email shows how unaccustomed I am to yeah. being late and how on time I usually am. It's like, it's very performative. If you see me walking in at 9.30 today, don't assume that I'm That's someone the time who I come comes in, every in day. at 9.30. Mm-hmm. Huh. Meanwhile, nobody is thinking about these yeah, things. I Except a- for that one really annoying person in every office who like knows when everyone gets in. I have the opposite thought where it's like, if I'm coming in at 930 today, I'm going to assume you think that I'm just running late. <laughs> I mean, probably most people are thinking nothing. You're right. Nobody's thinking about you ever. Yeah, no, it's, that's a really good rule of thumb for life. And this has been Half Big Takes. Half Big Takes. Thanks for listening to Game Plan. You can find me on Twitter at Francesca Today. And I'm at RZ Greenfield. You can tweet us your half-baked takes or call into our hotline at 212-617-0166. If you like our show, please go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen and just take one second to give us a review, rate us, and subscribe, or just do one of those three things even. Um, Every little bit helps get our show in front of more people. We also have a newsletter. If you want to get it, go sign up for it at Bloomberg.com slash newsletters. Click the game plan box and then it's yours. This show was produced by Liz Smith and Magnus Henriksen. Head of podcasts is me. We'll see you next week. Bye. Behavioral economy? Is that the field? Behavioral economics. Economics?